and I got back in bed and I just turned over just to get comfy and an arm came up <clears throat> from under the under the bed through the bed and round me and the other one came over me and this thing grabbed hold of me as I normally do I, I get I'm furious you know I don't scare I'm furious I'm angry I'm fighting this thing off and I struggle the struggle to get this thing off in the meantime the process of that was I'd ripped the bed covers off the pillows on the floor the duvet it was half ripped off and yet the partner didn't wake up and she wakes up a little drop of it she didn't wake up and I knew then it's phenomenal Welcome back. I'm here again with Steve Mara. Steve, welcome back. At the Thanks. end of the last episode, let's see. Oh, so leave it on a cliffhanger there, Sean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it was like abrupt too. It's just like okay, it's just good. People will be people will be waiting to find out what the answer was. So we talked about paranormal phenomena in the last episode, or traditionally paranormal phenomena, poltergeists, hauntings, and a number of other things. And you start talking about the UFO phenomena. How is this overall broader yeah. paranormal, uh, well, you know, these effects, how are they related to the UFO phenomena? It's just in how people get to that from the paranormal, because to get to that, we had to understand how the paranormal phenomena can interact with our reality and the physics that we thought existed just are shattered between, right before our eyes. And just seeing that and just experiencing that, purposeful demonstrations by them and how they do this is just incredible and it doesn't make any sense because the sense we understand is a rigid box called physics of our reality um, right. and that's the problem we live in the confines of this box and can't accept anything else but we have to we really do and there were things experiments done where there were radios old radios used and they were communicating with these some of them the, whatever these things were, because you, know, you never really know what they And it was put into a Faraday cage, a very specialised design Faraday cage, so no transmissions could ever get in and out, and yet it still functioned. And the tubes of the radio that made it work were removed from the radio. The functioning area of the radio was taken out, and it still worked. In cassette recordings during the Skull Experiment, Cassettes were going around and recording the conversations. As a test, the power was pulled out from the tape recorder and we could still see it physically moving around. So the, the tape recorder was still obtaining power even though there was no power plug in it. Did it and still record? Still recording. So the next step was to remove the recording head. So you take out the tape, you can unscrew the recording head and put the cassette back in. And we put it on to record, and again, it started to go around without any power. And we thought, we can't record anything now. Oh, yes, it did. It recorded exactly the same. It didn't even need a recording head. In fact, the phenomena is not needs power. It doesn't need the recording head. What it's doing is something that we discovered is called transplacement. Transplacement means I can put what I want on that device in the means I want to without the normal physical means that you require. And it can do it on tape recorders. You know, we did experiments. Olympus, very big company in this type of equipment, were our sponsors at the time, and the engineers were involved. And these tests 
we had three exact same models of recorders being used. And in a silent environment, just for a short period of time, we couldn't hear anything. When we played it back, we had a male voice on one, a female voice on the other, and just pops and clicks on the third one. Don't even know what the pops and clicks were. Really, to be honest, they were. But he wanted to demonstrate we can do this and pop it on whenever they want to. Not you know, so it's targeting the equipment, and the phenomena targets us as well because now we know that we can suddenly hear something. I just heard this. Well, the recorder's running there. Did he pick it up? No. Why didn't the recorder hear it? Why didn't the recorder tape it? Record it. It's records designed to record harmonic sounds. If you've heard it, it has to be harmonic because your ear vibrates the harmonic sounds. You recognize it. No, because what happens was it transplaces it so we hear it, so we're pieces of equipment, and the recorders don't get it. Sometimes it's the other way around. You know, we hear nothing in a silent environment, but the recorder captures it. We all see these TV shows of ghost hunters and things like that. And if you call out about an EVP, now most of them aren't very good, to be honest, but occasionally you might think, yeah, that sounds like an EVP. Mm-hmm. Now, nobody goes on to question then, well, hang on a second, just oh, whoa, whoa, let's rewind back. That recorder, let's look at the specifics of this recorder. This recorder is designed to record from, say, 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz, which is your vocal range. Right. It's not designed to record anything else because you wouldn't hear it. What's the point? Right. Mm. The recorder didn't record it. Why didn't it record it yet? We heard it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the far future, soldiers of the Starship Supernova are thrown back in time. Cut off from reinforcements, they crash land in Earth's prehistoric past. A plan is hatched to escape this primordial landscape. Menaced by dinosaurs and prehistoric beasts, it's a race against time in an ancient world. In the chaos that follows, they soon discover an even deadlier adversary lurking in the jungles, threatening to trap them all forever in the prehistoric wilderness. Triassic, available on Kindle, paperback, and audiobook. Well, how do we how do we hear it then? Well, it can't be harmonic if we're hearing it. We might think it is because we hear it, but it can't be because the recorders wouldn't record it. So then we get into questioning, of course, okay, the physicality of this. So this is what the phenomenon does. It's no different than telepathy. When you got the UFO stuff, the entities, the non-human entities, these intelligences, communication, it's the same thing. It's transplacement. It's not telepathic, it's transplacement. What they're doing is, is that they are talking to you what we might refer to as in a telepathic state, using us as pieces of equipment and putting it into us to understand. And we can hear them in our heads. It's channeling communications is like that taking place for many years. But now there's a science behind it, and now we're starting to realise how it ticks. Because what it's doing is it's called, it's bypassing the eardrum, and it's going to the inner ear, the cochlea. And there's a channel there of liquid and hairs, and it's causing them to affect and when it does, the brain's recognizing it as speech, but the, the eardrum's not moving because there's no harmonics in the air. There's no equipment to record harmonics with because it's not picking up on those equipment. 
wonderful areas of the sciences that we're figuring out. Well, hang on a second. That is absolutely no different when people say, I saw a non-human entity and it talked to me telepathically. We hear them cases all the time. Absolutely no different. It's exactly the same phenomenon. It's just termed differently. In the UFO world, it's called telepathic communication. In our world, it's called as transplacement communication. But it's the same phenomenon, just a different name. So when we realized we got into that, we thought, okay, so hang on, this is similar to UFO stuff. Well, what are the parameters of UFO phenomena? Does that have a mechanism? And is it the same type of mechanism? When I talk to you about that diathermic, strange diathermic alteration in the airport and mode, when right. we started into the UFO research, we hit yeah, right, there was a belt to this one. We came across a case, and it was a UFO, it never was seen to travel, it just manifested close to the ground. A number of people saw this, independent people, traveling vehicles, all sorts of different things. And they all reported to say, I've seen this craft in this field manifest. Now, scientist guys came out, I think that might have been a MUFON case, scientist guys came out and they realized that the plants in that area close to the ground were all affected. They were stunted, they were slightly discolored, there was something not quite right with them. So they took samples of these and it was referred to, I saw the report, it was referred to as a plant biological traumatology test. When they put it under analysis, what did they see? They saw exactly the same diathermic alterations in the plants as they did in our apported mug. So we had a bit of a light bulb moment and we thought, okay, so does the manifestation of a UFO and the manifestation of an apported mug utilize the same physics here? And if they are, why? Because if UFOs are traveling from some vast distant planet from somewhere else, distance of space to travel to Earth, then why should it be utilizing the same mechanics here in a manifestation process as an ancient earthly phenomenon we refer to as the paranormal? Doesn't make much sense, this. So we thought, okay, so we started looking more and more down this path. And then I had a long conversation with a gentleman, a friend of mine, actually, Robert Salas is his name. He was... He oh, yeah, was I've a, interviewed him. Oh, Malmstrom. Malmstrom. Yeah. Now, I know about the incident. I know what happened. And it's all very intriguing. I know these things do happen. But I was interested in the report from the investigation of the warheads. To advertise on Through Glass Darkly, Email thrillglassdarkly ads at gmail.com. Because they were The bench test. The bench test, right? Now, when you, I don't know if you ever see, if you want to bring up an image sometime and we look at one of those warheads, there's no screws, there's no rivets, there's no little door to get into the warhead. It's a sealed, complete unit. And it's done like that purposely so people can't get in there and, this, you know, and change things and do something. They're completely sealed off. So a special team comes in, have to remove the warheads off them, and then they have to get in from underneath. They literally got to demanufacture it to get into the warhead. And according to the report, when they got in there, they were shocked to see that it had been physically damaged, physically pulled, ripped apart in areas. And I thought, ah, well, there's your sex. That's the same phenomenon as it can manipulate metaphysical stuff in a sense of speaking tape recorders radios and they can move things and you can get, get in there and do this and i thought to myself okay well there's another little 
tick in the box that that phenomenon could also do the same as well that has a metaphysical aspect to it and the more we started looking into this we realized we need to start focusing in the ufo phenomena and we're paranormal power psychologists guys you know we all thought ufos is a bit hey you know but we thought okay we're going to have to do that well it was very surprising because once we opened that door we used to slap these ticks and we go well that's the same as that you know the inducing of paralysis in paranormal experiences shadowy figures being seen in the bedroom you woke up there's a ghost in the corner whatever you want to call it and you can't move you know you're paralyzed until it releases you in some sense exactly the same thing in a ufo field you know light coming through the window three small gray non-human intelligences in the room you're paralyzed kind of and what we realized is, is that the phenomena isn't causing that you're causing it because when we go to sleep at night in REM process we literally try and get you know just minutes you know 20 minutes is REM is good enough for us we spend eight hours in bed tossing and turning and moving over and around it's interesting if you ever record yourself because you're like moving all night oh yeah yeah when you're not moving you're probably asleep but the thing is is that very little is that REM most of it is hypnagogic, hypnagogic, and um, coming in and coming out of that process, hypnopompic. And you're spending most of your night in that state. Occasionally, you'll grab the REM, and you only need some 20 minutes, you know, in terrible That's why people can sleep all night and think, oh, I've had a great night's sleep, but I'm really tired. You know, I don't have much REM. Or some people have trained themselves to go to bed for only three hours and enter into REM fast, and literally only need three hours sleep for a night. You know, it's all down to it's various and different people. But there's a mechanism that takes place during REM, and it's known as output blockade and input blockade. And from the psychological side, you'll get those studies and you look, okay, it's interesting what happens to us because during REM, what our brain does, these little signals there, our brain switches off our ears. So during REM, you won't hear nothing. Absolutely, because the information coming from your ears is just being cut off in the brain during REM. There's also something referred to as output blocking. And the reason is, is that it's so that you don't act out your dreams and lash out and stuff. Now, people have said to me, oh, I've lashed out my partner accidentally. Well, that's because you're in hypnopompic, hypnagogic state. You're coming in or just going out and you've managed to just cross that area. But in REM... Oh, yeah, you're paralyzed. You cannot move. That's cut out as well. The brain does it. So these little triggers are already in the brain. So all the phenomena does in the paranormal world is come along and press the right buttons, you know, manipulation of us. And then we're paralyzed. We're thinking the phenomena is doing it. Oh, no, it's just pressing the buttons, you know, where well, that's how manipulative they can be. The same for the UFO phenomena is the same process, exactly the same. And um, so we know that, okay, there's another tick. And, we, and the more we started looking, the more we started realizing that the UFO phenomena is something that demonstrates metaphysicality. And we started getting into the study of the UAP phenomena under the aspects of the paranormal connotations. And that became a subject of its own and a project of its own called Project Doorway. And Project Doorway is the eight years we're in now 
at trying to figure out the mechanics of the UFO phenomena. And to be honest with you, it's basically the same mechanics as the paranormal. There is no difference. And we were surprised when we saw this compartmentalization. You know, the paranormal, metaphysical, supernatural, spiritual, ufological, and everybody was staying in their own camps. You know, the paranormal guys would do UFO guys, UFO guys. And if you right. thought, we're never going to get a clear picture. The guys are wasting their time in paranormal just because I know I've been there. And I'm wasting time in ufological because I've been, you know, I'm in there now. And I'm thinking, you're never going to get an answer because what you're looking for isn't in that camp. It's in our camp, <laughs> you know? And you've got to look in the paranormal camp and parapsychological camp to get that answer. So what we decided to do is tear all the boxes down. Because there's no compartmentalization. It's just called phenomenology. Put it out in front of you. And then say, look for what exists within it. And when you do, then you get a bigger, clearer picture of what's going on than you would do just staying in the footprint of ufology. So that's what we did. And we've been working in that area now. And we recognize that the manifestation process does take place in a lot of these objects. Statistically speaking, there's no superhighway going backwards and forwards to Earth. There's serious reports on this. You know, Heineck in 1977, when he was coming, he had a committee, secret committee, and he stated on the record, there's not enough evidence to support this. This is extraterrestrial technology. He got shunned a bit for that and ended up going to work with Valet for three years. Because mm -hmm. Valet said the same thing and he got shunned. And NASA just released a document, was it last year? This committee meeting came, was to focus on UFO phenomena. Yes, they know UFOs are seen. Yes, they've been reported. Yes, they've been captured on photographs and videos. However, their data says we've not enough evidence for it. It's extraterrestrial. If you just look at the statistics, though, so now around the world, on a 24-hour basis, with something ridiculous between 8 and 20 seconds per, per sighting. That's thousands upon thousands of UFOs seen around the world on a daily basis. Okay, some of them, we've got big conservative, of course, but some of them are misidentifications. Some of them right. are... But even if you remove half of them, there's still thousands and thousands of these things. Where are they coming from? Because they don't seem to be traveling backwards and forwards. You get some things. You get some little things. You're not getting a mass amount of superhighway traffic going through our ionosphere and back. There's no ionospheric tracing markers. They're not seeing that. NASA aren't finding that, you know, that where they're all coming from. So we started to look in the, the plausibility process of, is it like the paranormal when it manifests? Started to check into, is there geological connections to it? And there are. The geological connections to it. We took 2,000 of the best cases in the world in UFO stuff. And I'm talking you real bigots, you know. You would know if you managed to pick a book, a psychopedia on UFOs, they're going to put them in it. Hopskinville incident, you know, in Flatwoods Monster and Zamora and all those amazing cases. Mm -hmm. We couldn't believe it. We sort of, surely it can't be right. Surely somebody's picked this up. Utilizing a number of satellites orbiting Earth, we realize that they're in geological locations of magnetic anomalies, 250 plus nanotesla, in fact. So, okay, that's interesting because so Skinwalker Ranch, so it's Bachelor Ranch, so it's Wilson Ranch. What's the statistics of chances of this is happening? He's extra, extra low, you know? Though that we're not saying that, oh, no, phenomenon doesn't take place in negative reasons, of course it does, you know, but... The materialization process and the key points seem to be there, the most significant instance. You know, aerial school in Rua, same thing. You know, they're all in these same regions. 
We thought, well, that can't be by chance. So we had to prove it. We were able to scientifically do the reverse role. So now we're going to let the data we you know, test. So what we do is we get the data, we get a geological location, latitude, longitude, where do we need to be? Well, it turned out we, we needed to be in the desert mountains of Palm Springs, funny enough. So we headed off there to, to conduct the test. And we got there, beautiful night, middle of nowhere, not a human soul for miles and miles and miles, just us in the heavens. And we set up equipment. We knew we were in the right location geologically, expecting for no one to manifest in some way. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And then my colleague said, okay, Steve, let's get all the equipment away. Because we've got to consider we've just come into their territory. Not the other way around it. They're not interacting with us. We've come to interact with them. So we did. And as soon as we put all the equipment in the trunk and shut that trunk, bang, there it was. It manifested. And this thing was, it was, it was big. It was above us. And it had beautiful arcing lights on it. Beautiful colours. And we were just all in awe. We were just, you know, we were just staring at this thing. We were in awe. But something was happening is that we noticed, and I noticed it from a paranormal background, and my friend Barry Fitzgerald, who's my colleague, he confirmed this and this practice of teaching and identifying phenomena, that our bodies were reacting in a way where it was going into alert, like, you know, the fight or flight. And we get that during paranormal phenomena. We're used to it, you know, the head goes up in your head. That is the fight or flight. That is your body telling you that instinctually, that thing, that mechanism we have, just because you don't see something, just because you don't hear something, your body knows there's something there and it's telling you, I don't like it, get the hell out. <laughs> and that's basically what it's doing. But what we do is we tend to say, oh, right, okay, well, this might be an interesting area. But when your body's doing that, it's a mechanism, it's a survival mechanism. And it was happening at this time. We thought, that's unusual, you know, because this ain't paranormal, is it? Or is it? <laughs> you know, because you start asking, well, what is paranormal? It's all paranormal. All the evidence supports in the mechanics is paranormal phenomena we're dealing with in the UFO world. And when we realized that was happening, it was Barry actually caught my attention. He said, we need to leave. And of course, none of us wanted to because we're in the midst of this experience, you know. And we had a torch. We were Barry was flashing the torch, and he was he was communicating back in light source. But it was because of that uneasiness, and we had this feeling that you know Barry said we need to go, we need to get out of here. And I'm glad we did because you know what, there was something going on in the background in the darkness behind us. I don't know if there was something on the ground or what, but we, it was pitch black in the desert. There's no lights up there, but there was something on there. There was definitely something there. Uh, and we just, we hot we tailed it out, to be honest with you. You know, we're not stupid, but we got out of that. We like to be in control of the experience that we might experience so we can pull away. But then in, in the back of our minds, we were in their location. We'd stepped into their domain. They don't like it. They like the regions of the desert. They keep away from us. They like to go about business. And we caught their eye. They probably thought, what the hell? You know, <laughs> we don't want you guys here. You know, and, uh, and we got out of there. It, we realized that from that, that that we were right about the research because we reverse tested it. In other words, we took the data, proved it, and we had the experience. So we thought, okay. And since then, we've been working in that area. Now, what happened was we started putting these 
documents together for peer reviewing. And the Scientific Coalition of UAP Studies, which is in America. Yeah, um, I see you. Mm. SC, you know the SCU. Joe, who runs uh, who's the SCU, contacted me and asked me if I would consider joining the SCU after knowing our research and stuff. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so all right. And I know that some people in very highly places like Hal Puttoff and other people have had some association with SCU. I was told that he was aware of our work and there may have been correlations and some of the work that has been done. And I did ask the question because we're aware that the UFO phenomena can go into the hillsides and go into mountains and go into volcanoes. And yet the only thing anyone's talking about is transmedium travel. I said, it's not transmedium travel, it's quad medium travel. Because we're coming through it from paranormal part psychology side, we're going to say that. It's natural for us. We're, we're used to seeing quad phenomena in the parapsychological circles. So why shouldn't it be in a UFO? And we knew it was because we've got the data to show it. And, you know, mm-hmm. the, we were told that, yes, we know about it, but we can't put that out because we're trying to gain interest from the scientific community. And we can't drop that on the links, you know, on that lap, because they're just thought they were crazy. We don't want to discourage them. We want to encourage them. So we'll keep it at transmedium travel for now. <laughs> Eventually, we'll get into the quad medium travel. But then when we realize... What's it called? What's a quad medium travel? Quad medium, yeah. I mean, it's, it can travel in the water, can travel in the yep. air, can travel in space, can travel into non-physical stuff, ground. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is why we've got footage of you. Yeah, there's four modes of travel, basically. It's the quad medium travel, yeah. yeah. They're only putting, you know, the, the three out at the moment, transmedium. So no, so it's not. It's actually quadmatic or quadmedium travel. But we've got evidence. We see UFO footage, real UFO footage, when it is the phenomenon. So a lot of it's a lot of stuff is ours, of course, but don't want to get into that. <laughs> but they have theirs, and it acts in a certain way beyond that. Sometimes, because they can be metaphysical, then don't you might see them as a physical thing. Not. They're not interacting in our reality properly. This is why we can have UFOs being filmed in fluid cameras or normal cameras entering into the water, and there's no wake, there's no trail, there's no heat signatures, there's no sonic booms. And that's because it's outside of our understanding of reality, just as I can put my hand to a vase. Same process, the same thing. It's there. If I filmed it, it's there. Is it real? Not really. That's the problem. So same physics are being utilized here again with that phenomena. And I thought, okay, this is all paranormal. It's all paranormal. I thought, well, well, once we get into that, we started realizing that this has been known for quite some time. For many, many years, the non-human intelligence that's behind the UFO phenomena. And of course, the UFOs is the phenomena. Don't ever think the UFO is a vehicle for the phenomena. It can be when it wants to choose to be. But it isn't. It's all one phenomena. Even the UFOs, the crafts themselves, the real phenomena, it can change, multiply, split, change, alter. You know, it can become into two. It can re-merge, evolve, change its shape. It can pretend to be aircraft. It can be all sorts of different things. And it's incredible. You know, I mean, there has been some which have turned into some light aircraft. There has been ones where appendages have come out and he started pinging a 727 to the local airport. It's crazy. But they're clever, and they know how to manipulate and deceive. And when we realised what was going on, we thought, okay, let's track it back. 
And we started tracking it back and we realized, well, hang on a second, this first appears, these non-human intelligences don't first appear in association to anything you have. They first appeared around the sales tables. That's when they first appeared. Nothing to do with you whatsoever. And of course, if you track it back further, my colleague, yeah, like, like, the, like the Jack Parsons ritual in the desert. Well, with, yeah, in the Jack, yeah. you know what Jack Parsons? He does what we did. I mean, he pushed through the boundary of the poltergeist. I mean, that's what we call him pushing through the poltergeist boundary. It's a form of ritualistic invocation, in the sense of speaking, and. It sounds worse than it is, to be honest with you, because people naturally think, oh, it's demons and demons and demons. Yeah, they think it's all satanic, right, right, right. They think it's demons and demonic stuff. It's all the same phenomena. It's all a, it's just a different mask. It's still the same phenomena being different things. That's all it is at the end of the day. And the aspects of demonology and all that sort of thing, it's just the same stuff. But when we realised that you push it about. So in other words, you invocation, eventually you start getting paranormal disturbances, then it gets to a range of poltergeist phenomena. Most people back off at that point. But if you're consistent and you can do it with your experiments, you can push through the boundary of the power of the poltergeist phenomena. Yeah, you lean into it, right? And then you're into NHI realm, which is your non-human entities, your non-human intelligences. <laughs> That's what happened in school. And then it started appearing, then it started being recorded on film and camera. You know, my friend Robin Ford is no longer with us. He, he passed away a few years ago. He was head of the Skull Experiment. And, uh, you know, his books are really good. Very, it don't tell you next to nothing, of course, of what really went on. Um, and I used to have long conversations with Robin, but that phenomenon never left him. Once those things turned up, they were in his life for mm. good. And they never got rid of it to the day he passed, unfortunately. But that's why they closed down the circle, because they lost control to these things. You know, so one thing dealing with it, what they thought was special, but you know what? What if it wasn't? It's all geared in a way that, oh, we may, it's the same thing pretending to be, oh, I'm spiritual, you know? So, and that was why the did they, why exactly did they shut it down? Like, what, what oh, seminal so. incident happened that, oh, there, was reference, to do that? there were references like things like there are thousands that could come through when they, that was the worry. And it was interacting, they were following them back home, the phenomena followed them, it was Hitchhiker and it was NHI. It wasn't the paranormal stuff, it was something more ominous. And they couldn't get rid, you know. There was no way we lost that. And they, they realised they'd lost control. They were told it was dangerous, so they put it off straight away. Though that there was a few little advanced experiments done in Scotland, and a friend of mine and colleague, Nick Kyle, from Scotland, was involved. That was about the manifestation of the UFOs in the sales area, and they were real UFOs who just. Interstate flies. It was just smaller. That's all. I mean, these weren't toys. They weren't, you know, they were real. They were firing pencil beam lights down on the table and it could move around and it never leave the point of light on the table. It was amazing what things they could do. And they brought in academics from all over the world who said we were trying to prove it wrong about this phenomena. And they brought in scientists and all sorts from all over the world. This was a psychical the SPR, the Society of Psychical Research, one of the most recognised establishments on the planet, you know, for its authority in psychical research, which is paranormal, you know, how psychological. And these are the guys that want to come in and say, we really want got to find us an explanation. We want to find that explanation. We don't want it to be that. And they couldn't. 
they couldn't. And anybody who went there and experienced it, they had their own stories to tell. It's on YouTube, actually. All you have to do is type in skull experiment interviews, and you can see all the academics and doctors and people that went and went, we saw it for ourselves, there's no explanation. And it's true, they were actually doing it. And then what happened when, after they finished the more, just for a few of them, the advanced areas of skull with Nick Kyle, I came along with what is referred to as Phenomena Project, which was an even further advancement of the skull and started working in that area. And this is when these experiments started happening for us. You know, so we realised that we can deal directly with that source. Well, this is what Jack Parsons did. He started doing the same type of practice in his home and poltergeist infestation took place. Then he got Ron Hubbard as a scribe to come down and they pushed through that boundary, the poltergeist boundary, until they reached NHI. And then they gave him the coordinates. Because I always say it's the geological connection. When we talk about geology, the coordinates was the Mojave Desert. And what do these things want? Well, to make that connection stronger, there has to be an offering. And it's usually blood. In You know, it's always been blood sacrifice. Any day. Even our God. You know, the, the Bible that we have, the Christian Bible, you know, the Holy Bible. Our God, if you actually read it properly, he had his bad days. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he spited people. He demanded, kill your brother, kill your son. You know, blood sacrifice to me. That's our God. All these gods, all of them, the Aztec, Inca, in, Aztec, Inca, Mayan, our God, all the other gods, they're all the same thing. They all want the flock. They all want the worship. They all want the... There's lots of blood sacrifice. And it's still involved in blood sacrifice, but it's at a bigger level now. Well, now people can just press a button and wipe out half a million people. Actually, funny you mention that. I'm going to tell a quick, quick story. So two friends and I went to a property that was adjacent to Skinwalker Ranch, right? And, you know, on the way down, I was joking. I'm like, you know, we were joking about blood sacrifice, just random stuff. Then... This is with one friend. The second friend shows up and he starts talking about blood sacrifice. Didn't have a conversation at all. And then we get there and we talk to the proprietor and she's like, you know, this is these are places you can go. These are places you can't. There's been some people here. Sometimes they'll cut themselves. It just gets really weird. Don't do that. But just like, again, this is the whole synchronicity thing. Okay. But it was weird. It was very weird. Anyway, I wanted to mention that because it's... No, it's a vocation, Sean. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. It's no different than anybody else. Alistair Crowley was doing the same thing. You know, George Hunt Williamson. You know, George Tantassel. Where did he go? He went to the Mojave Desert, quit his job as an aeronautics, took his family, went and lived under a rock, giant rock, that is, in Mojave Desert. Mojave Desert, same place where Parsons was told to go geologically, and that's the location where you need to go and do this. And what happened when he did? He ended up with communication with NHIs. And what did he do? He obtained information with them to obtain details about advanced rocketry, which worked. Right. We, we have a space program because of them. It was just not mm -hmm. just happening to the Americans. It was happening to the Russians. You know, Tielowski was doing exactly the same thing, ritualistic practices, finding out how to build rockets, building them, and getting us to space. They want to advance us quicker than we can. You know, definitely that's what they want. And they want the word out. And that's been going on. I mean, Hawkins, Stephen Hawkins in the UK, was unfortunately no longer with us. 
but you know he, he talks about how how did you work out about the the equations about gravity and getting space and stuff like that it came all in dreams downloaded he wasn't his it wasn't his information i talked with david adair who's a good friend of mine a rocket genius i asked david about how did you get the information about building this incredible rocket for eight thousand four hundred and eighty mile an hour in 1970s like what oh i just got it every night it was given to me in dreams and then just went and built it wasn't his information and these people are called muse what we call muse and they're everywhere in regarding technology exactly the same thing nikola tesla you know spirit radio communications they're all invented exactly the same thing you know benjamin franklin who invented many different things doing the same thing there are so many of them that are in touch with the phenomena, but now it changes its appearance and it evades us. It grows with us. It sort of it amalgamates to what we think at the time. Now, this phenomenon dates back thousands upon thousands of years back. It's the same phenomenon. In fact, we might be the new kids on the block, to be honest with you. Um, it's the same phenomenon, and it has multiple masks. If you track the phenomena, you'll find it. If you track the mask, you'll lose it. Don't trap the mask because the mask is forever changing. And the churches know this. The churches have utilized it. You know, St. Francis of Assisi, he wasn't an angel. It wasn't God. It wasn't Jesus. You know, he was struck by you know, energy from an object that descended upon him and it burnt his hands. And, and then he said, oh, well, it's not burnt. Let's call it the wounds of Christ. You know, stigma. Right, you know, stigma. He, went, he went on straight out after his experience to open up one of the world's first Flying saucer cults, believe it or not, you know, and and there's loads of people in the Bible. If you look at the source material, I think uh, Professor Diana Masulka's talked about this, you know, recently. She got into the Vatican. Fifty-three. The Vatican is a library. It's like Alexander Library. It's not a temple. It's not a church. It's a library. It's fifty-three miles of it down there. They've been sourcing this material back before you can even imagine. And they've got all the resource information about that. When she looked, and she surely shouldn't have done, but when she looked, because she gave it access, she gave her a key. I mean, ooh, I'd, I'd love to do that. She found the source material and found her, hang on a second, you know, Teresa Arvell, is, that wasn't Cupid. It was a creature that thrusted mm -hmm. some of her entrails, you know. Oh, 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 the church will have to change that. And they do. And he turned it from Cupid with the arrow. The arrow is the, the thing, you know. That was the representation of Cupid. And then he started changing that into the dove and the partridge and calling it the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. If you see ancient paintings, biblical paintings, you see the dove with a pencil beam light coming down and hitting people on the forehead. That sort of stuff. That's the phenomena. We just change the aspects of it. So when the church turns around and says, let the Holy Spirit in, I'll revive myself on that, I think. <laughs> You know, it's all down to how you perceive it. What do you make of the Bloodsoe case? <laughs> it's very interesting. You know, it's like targeted individuals. Absolutely. You are targeted individuals. More so than I am, you know, but I don't know why people are targeted. I've never had never had information to give me any idea of reasons why. Well, here, here's here's something that's... You're, are you familiar with the Christopher Robinson? So... One thing that he noted to me is that both he and Bledsoe yes. 
almost died when they were very young. So Bledsoe was hit with like a shotgun during you know, hunting when he was maybe nine or uh, same age too. I think it was like nine or 10 years old. And then yeah. I think Christopher Robinson had a heart issue. He had one of the first heart operations or transplants, something like that when he was like nine or 10 years old. That way. Absolutely. It does happen with a lot of people, near-death experiences and stuff associated. The thing is, though, when I talk about this stuff, a lot of people go, oh, God, it's not always all bad. So, no, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is that for years and years, we've been sweeping all the negative stuff under the carpet. And it can't stay there anymore. It's got to be put out on the table let people make their own mind up. There is only agenda. There has always only been agenda. If they come and have a, and you have a nice spiritual experience, then thank for brilliant. That's great. You know, and they employed so you know, they're great to have. But sometimes they're not. But let's not ignore them. Let's not ignore the fact that people have been killed. People are being killed. You know, this phenomenon targets people and sometimes it doesn't care. You know, there is a dark side to this. But we've got to just put it out on the table and say, this is what it represents. And this is why we're not going to get disclosure in the way we're ever going to get disclosure. They'll go round and round and round because the people in the top of the programs know a lot more about where this phenomena derives. And they had to generate a ruse years ago. And that ruse is, oh, they're traveling from distant space. Well, how do we enforce that? Make every television show on the subject that narrative. Star checking. Mm -hmm. Blockbuster movies. Make it that they cannot get out of that narrative and keep it well away from the power and order what people connecting adopts and this is why it's generated but they, but now you've got leslie keen that's going forward you know very prominent person in the us who's come out to national papers pit it up ufos consist of supernatural and paranormal do you know how she came to that conclusion i tell you she, she it was, what's his name his name is uh why can i stewart something well, with the she, how she came to real that conclusion. Yes, she'd been involved in a number of different things, but she came to that conclusion after spending pretty much a year in the UK and witnessing some of the experiments. And it's a whole different ballgame when you're talking about UFOs. That just, you know, how many people have seen them? She may have never seen one. But when this phenomenon is happening in front of her during our experiments, then when she sees, sees things like that, she's going to say, what the hell? <laughs> it's all connected. She's connected the dots. And now she's talking about what we talked about eight years ago. We've got three things on the announced three things eight years ago. The first change, you're going, this is why we, this document is only coming out now. They were waiting for these three things, these markers. The first marker is, the first thing that will happen is that the ETH, the terminology, will drop aside and be replaced. Mm -hmm. Yes. Think about the reason why they're doing that. Secondly, is that people will be utilized to distribute information to a large audience about the paranormal connotations of UFOs, just like Leslie Keane and other people. Well, I know astrophysicists. Elizondo is now talking about that. In fact, he says in a very interesting interview, when we really find out what's it all about at the end of it, I think it will be a very somber moment. Well, yeah, I agree, Elizondo, absolutely, because some people will not know how to deal with this. You know, mm -hmm. that's a big problem. And third marker was that we're going to see people in academic places. Diana, for one, who's come out, yeah, Pasolka, 
She's a professor. She's come out and she's telling the world what she's found. There are astrophysicists. There are doctors. I've got a list of 40 of them. We would never have talked about this sort of stuff. And now they're coming out and saying it. That was the third marker. Now it's ready to release our document because people are accepting that now. So when we release our document, it's going to be basically telling them that this phenomenon has always been here. It's been right under their nose and we cannot control it. We cannot master it. And we are puppets on the string. It's not nice to hear, but it's true. And it's not a ma matter of managing this phenomenon. It's about compliance as if all the best word I can put there. You know, learning to live with it. Because, you know, things are changing. And like I say, they all want the flock at the end of the day. They did it, you know, they did it with Lords, the most religious place in the world. Millions of people travel there every year. You look at the original source material of St. Benedict. She didn't see Mary. She actually confronted the church. I didn't see Mary. What she said is she saw that thing in the cave and it communicated with her. That's not the first time. You know, exactly the same sort of thing is reported to have happened to Leonardo da Vinci. He stayed in a cave in France and was communicating. Where did he get his inspiration for all this stuff? He's a muse. He's no different than the rocket geniuses and Tesla and all these people have managed to build things and create things well ahead of time. He was another one doing the same thing. And there were hundreds of them. Now, when you say the three markers, did you set the markers or did the phenomena set the markers? That's a good question, really good question. Well, at the time, we realized that we can't release this. We can't be the first people, a scientific right. study, SCP, to go out and deliver this and be the first people to it. We need the general public to be in acceptance or hearing it from somewhere else. And then what we do is then we can kind of ease in. That's the process. We can never be the first. It's a kind of a process that we deal with. We don't want to, hey, guys, this is, and be, you know, trying to be revolutionary doesn't work in this subject, you know. It's a matter of small steps and digestible chunks. Um, and we had to wait for those markers. We knew it was going to happen. When myself and Barry mentioned it eight years ago, you know, we said, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. It's going to happen. People said, oh, don't be that. Don't be stupid. Da, 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 da. We said, okay, let's wait. And it's happening. It's illuminating our work now, of course. And now it's being recognised that this is the right time to release information because it's all there's already a footprint out there for it to, to be delivered to, rather those than being the first to the stage. Now, have you had any communication, or have you interfaced at all with the Ministry of Defence or you know the American equivalent, the Pentagon? Have, have you know, they approached? I mean, you mentioned Hal Putoff, so there's like oh, a okay. It's funny because this is the second time I've been asked this in a week. I was on a day, I was asked to go on to a show in America. And there was a gentleman there who I know. He's been in very high places with the US government. And he was on the phone with somebody else or on a call. And he had, there was another computer. And there were some other guys there called the Advanced Working Group. I don't know who the Advanced Working Group was. And he was getting questions from them to ask me on the show. I thought, what? And the first question was, am I having involvement with MI5 or MI6 in the UK? I said, no, do you think I am, James Bond? You know, what about... The right answer is that you know of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, any involvement with CIA and that, that sort of stuff. And I'm, no, no. I mean, I know my stuff. 
because I've always had one foot in that camp since seven years of age. And we've done the research in the right way to illuminate the phenomena. We've escaped the ruse and what people would prefer us to believe and got off evidence. If you go off the evidence, then belief don't come into it. But it was intriguing. Um, no, I haven't. I haven't had uh, and though I, had, you know, I was at NATO for a while in engineering, and but that was a short-lived thing and didn't do that for that very long. Um, and that's really everything else has been this work, to be honest with you, full-time. and just plowed at it for years and years. Of course, you know what, it's, it's, you know, it's not always easy because making ends meet in this subject, this is, if you want to earn the real good money for this, not the, it's not the job for you, you know? Right. But I started doing TV work and ended up writing some stuff and I ended up being on shows. I've been on loads now, too many to remember. Radio, writing, tutoring, lecturing, you know, the research, the investigation, documentation. It's just a mountain of things we like to do, 10 times more than the person just normally working to make those men's meet. But I just plow everything back in, into the research, because I want to learn as much as I possibly can while I'm here on Earth, because be honest, time goes fast on it, Sean. It goes faster as time goes on, to be honest with you. And that illusion of our brains getting ready for pride, you know, ready for death. It's gonna to happen to all of us. It's a natural process of state. And we've done lots of research into that area as well. But it comes to time when you think, what is more than what is more is there? has got to be more to life than this. And asking the important questions. Because at least I might be able to leave a little bit of footprint behind where others might pick up and say, Okay, I'm gonna continue this research. Because I think we are gearing up in regarding nearing the truth, a truth that we might not want to hear, right. but let's not think that we do have some control here because we have this consciousness of ours. And that is a very, very important aspect to all this phenomena. You know, people have had a foot in the camp for a while and just never knew because they have consciousness. It's as simple as that. So for me, it's about that's the journey. You know, it's got to be more than just this. Now, you mentioned something. I kind of let you go on it, because, uh, but it's intriguing. You said something about or implied that they had control, and we might as well just come to the make make our peace with that. And so is this the phenomena control mechanism that kind of prods and pushes humanity forward, or is it a is it something that is trying to retard our progress, or is it we have no idea? The thing is, is how we look at this. We've always considered it's an external force, an external intelligence. But what if that is the reality? This is a program. It's a program. This is the phenomenon is a program, you know, and it learns to adapt. And if it doesn't work the first time, or you see through the veil, it will change its appearance and change the way it does stuff to make it work the second time. It learns. It takes us our information and utilizes it against us. Sometimes, don't get me wrong, they make silly mistakes sometimes. They don't get it right sometimes. And that's the proof in the pudding because, you know, we might have a, an incident that took place in, you know, modern times when the, the UFO had portholes and rivets on the windows. And you think, right. Yeah, quite or good. airships or airships in the 1890s. And the, yeah. Exactly the same. They don't always get it right. <laughs> you know, it's quite funny. But it's how the program would work. You know, you can expect the program to kind of do that. But they learn and evolve. They're always evolving. They evade, evolve, they see. You know, they don't want us to figure it out. We're not maybe not supposed to all figure it out. We are supposed to accept the fact that, 
you know, who, who is God? And what is God? And what are deities? What are demons? What are angels? Well, all these non-human intelligences, whatever they are, you know, they all seem to be coming from the same source. And mm-hmm. I don't think that we need to be scared of it because it's always been there. It's just right. because I'm illuminated and I'm going, oh my God, what's that stood in the corner? Well, that's reality, you know, just kind of seeing it for the first time. And I think that's part of us growing and consciously. And we have to accept that there is, you know, I mean, people have good experiences, people have not so good experiences, you know, people have some really bad experiences. But it is just a gender, no different than the gods and how gods would treat us, you know. But there's something in it. And they are intelligent, they're always watching. And this is why. The space program throughout the world is all based on that. And this is why, even up to current day, as Palaskar said, the launches and the things that are happening that we don't get to hear about, they're all significantly detailed ritual, ritualistic aspects to it, to the like, whole launch, to the whole program, even down to the, the badges that they wear that you don't often see and have alien faces on and all that sort of thing. Now, on the side of the rockets, they've got ancient latin enochian uh, in some cases you know all sorts of different things and it's like we must pay homage because that's how we got to space this is why you know when astronauts landed on the moon before planting the american flag the masonic flag went in they've talked about this the astronauts masonic flag goes in first not the american flag. it's all about homage because we wouldn't got there if it wasn't for them and we're still doing it today it's still happening now that we are gaining information, you know, to advance ourselves. In, in That's what they want us to do. They want us to advance ourselves. So, But I think we need to advance here as well, consciously. And we are doing, you know, we're playing catch-up. Yeah, that's basically what the lady with Bledsoe kind of explained, that we're like gardeners and we're here to tend the so, garden. And yeah. and yeah, I have not come from the UFO side. Come from the paranormal side, but... And then just realized, oh, it's all the same. Yeah. yeah, that one and that one's like he will tell you he won't insist it's UFOs, even though it's kind of put into that category. He would say it's more of a spiritual phenomenon. But I, I think it's easy to manage it, though, isn't it? The, that idealism of these vast distances of you know, space are going for. Of course, they're all bipedal, got two arms, two legs, two eyes. You want to see someone alien? Just go to the bottom of the North Sea. You know, it sounds too much a bit like a Star Trek episode that they're all going from various planets all a bit. Well, uh, look, I can come up with any number of scenarios that could explain it, right? You could maybe we were seated, like a Pam Spurnia thing, and and they've been here all along. I think there's the one thing that is common throughout. I think they've been here for a very long time, whatever they are. If they're either, you know, came from here, if they came from a distance, they've always. Not always, but they've no, no, they passed. I think they've, they've, they've said things and this, you know, they've said, Oh, we come from this planet. I mean, in the 1920s, you know, and it keeps you, changing and it keeps changing. But you know, all right, so well, it might be uh, probably a US based yeah. back in the back of the I don't know, but yeah, that might not be the case. Of course, well, oh, well, well in that the case, then we're, we're from, from Venus, right. <laughs> Now it's like, oh, well, we came, you know, under the 70s, came from Mars. And now it's another planet, and they're going further and further and further and out. Zeta Reticuli. Always and, beyond uh, reach. Yeah. Always beyond reach. You know, because the thing is, it's right here on some You want the phenomenon, it's right here on your noses. And sometimes, you know, they don't like us prying into certain things. There are some research, myself and Barry's been involved in Project Doorway, 
which they didn't want us to get into, and we got the old slap on the hand for that. And sometimes we we have to, with the protocol means we have to respite now between certain parts of research because they don't want us looking into certain areas. And when they do, the yeah, it's not nice experience when they come visiting. And what are those areas? Impression as a question, but that's well, I, can't, yeah, well, I can't stop. Right. Well, let me let me just say one of those areas in regarding because we're doing research in regarding the why the okay so without getting in too involved it was sumerian demonology but sumerian demons are dogmen why are people seeing dogmen werewolves those sort of cryptic phenomena the cryptic phenomenon in uk and don't know if it applies to the us but a cryptic phenomenon in the uk is a physical poltergeist it's a fear feeder they're not predators in a sense we think of predators when they chase you and chase you and chase you and scare you to death and incite and in you know and also bring on fear induce it purposely terrified not by terrified people fall to the ground all they could do is freeze and hope in that instinctual thing you like for that rabbit coin headlights if i don't move it won't seem which is a waste of time this thing gets up to the top of this huge it's growling it's big bangs and the people see these things they have the, i know they have these experiences because i've witnessed some of these things I know how the phenomena can manifest in many anything you want. And what's it do? Well, any predator, we know what's going to do, don't we? You know, oh, there's a dinner's on the floor already and it's not running away, you know? No, it doesn't. After it reaches that point, it's kind of, uh, what we're going to do? And it just runs away. It's all about the fear. It's all about generation. And it's just to say it's poltergeist phone. Poltergeist phone is a fear feeding parasite. This is a physical fear feeding. That's what it does. Wants to pose the same actions. The answer to this is most assuredly no, but I'll, I'll throw it out there anyway. Has anyone ever confronted one of these things? Like run at it? Oh no, <laughs> I <didn't> think so. <laughs> no. no, because it induces. It, it, you know what? This phenomenon presses our buttons, just like sweet paralysis and everything. It can reach. It knows your deepest fears, and it will heighten them a one hundred percent more. Where you're not, you're not scared anymore. You are terrified. I mean, terrified to the point where you just want to curl up and die. Terrified. It's beyond normal. People have had these experiences in the backyard. They're comfortable. They know the location. Why should they fear? And they get confused as well. They're called, where am I? So I think, well, you should know where you are. It's called cognitive limitation. It happens. That have, phenomena does that. That's why people don't take photographs when they've got a camera in their hand. You know, it's cognitive limitation. You can do that as well. You know, this phenomenon, it's, it's, it's about fear feeding. It's the same phenomenon, but a different method and a different method of producing it. We have it in the UK, you know, and it, it's all part and parcel of the same thing. But when we got into Sumerian demonology, we couldn't help get into some of the Babylonian stuff. We didn't expect to get into that area, but it's the same stuff. Crowley did a little bit of that, but it's not supernatural, really. It's just ancient, you know. Mm -hmm. But we didn't get into it probably we just skirted around but whatever we did they didn't like it barry lives in ireland i live in the uk and they started off after doing that days of research is coming home and around about i think it was about half past five in the evening i just had the to get up and go outside you know i just occasionally have that it's like a taste of a lemon you never forget the taste and you don't if you're an experiencer and you okay all right so 
I do, and I go outside the back door, and there's a there's a not a light in the sky, there's a craft in the sky, and uh, I took video, took photographs of it, and it's just sat there, and basically, okay, <laughs> you know, and it just sat there, and it sat there, and eventually I got bored, <laughs> went in. <laughs> <laughs> I just did. I, mean, I see a lot of these things regularly. Um, and I did. And I, I, it was a topic of conversation. Yeah, there's another one. Yeah, well, we're used to it in my household. And if you're with me, you'll experience that as well. Not just me. You know, anybody in my circle experienced. And it's a topic of conversation quite a lot because anybody I'm with, with partner, now, they would be, you know, we just have these experiences. But I was honest with her when I first met her. I said, look, you're going to experience some weird shit. <laughs> you know, you, you are because my life's been that. And it was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Until it happens, and we've had all sorts of things. She still she argues with me. She says, please, please stop bringing the work home with me. You know, <laughs> but on that particular night, that's how it started. And then it was the early hours of the morning, around about five past three. Interesting time. I got up to go to the to the laboratory, and I got back in bed, and I just turned over just to get comfy, and an arm came up <clears throat> from under the under the bed through the bed and round me and the other one came over me and this thing grabbed hold of me as i normally do i, I get i'm furious you know i don't scare i'm furious i'm angry i'm fighting this thing off and i struggled to struggle to get this thing off in the meantime the process of that was i'd ripped the bed covers off the pillows on the floor the duvet it was half ripped off and yet we partly didn't wake up she wakes up a little drop of it. She didn't wake up. And I knew then it's phenomenal. And this thing, eventually I did. But then I was up the rest of the night because I was just anxious and angry. And I thought to myself, first thing I'll do, I'll wait till about half past eight in the morning. And I'll ring Barry and tell him what happened. And I did. And I got hold of Barry. And surprisingly, he, had the, he picked up the phone quite quick. Normally, he's like, oh, he's up at half past eight. Okay. And I said, Barry, I said, I've got something to tell you. He said, hang on, hang on. Let me tell you what happened here last night, he said. Like, oh, what happened? He said, oh, hell broke loose. There was a thing in the bedroom. My wife was screaming. It ripped out the light fittings in the kitchen. This day, he was not happy. And I said, well, uh, what, when was this? At the early hours of the morning. I said, no, do you know what? It's probably happening to him at the same time. It's happened to me. This is when we you know we're getting a slap on the hand. Back off. Respite. You know, don't be poking your nose in too fast, too soon. He doesn't like it. He, this phenomenon, because we've been involved in it, myself and Barry and, you know, and other colleagues of mine, so long, the door's never shut. They peek in and watch us, monitoring us, what we're doing. And sometimes I think it's just a matter of, I don't like that, you're annoying us. And when we're writing a book at the moment, myself and Barry, and there's respites involved because of the stuff we're putting in there. But sometimes, I mean, sometimes things come with completely... I mean, we're pretty attuned, and we're not, I won't say psychic, but we're tuned, you know, it's like, you know, when one of these things is around, sometimes something comes out when you have no idea this thing was even there, you know, your normal warning mechanisms, and they do have good warning mechanisms, because, you know, I'm used to depriving myself of refined sugar, because it causes adrenal weakness, I need my body to react, and it didn't. There are things that can be blind, completely blind to us, be right in front of us. We have no warning mechanism. Most of the time we do. But they, sometimes, they, you know, we have things that don't. So we have, you have to respite through some of the stuff that we do as well because we've got families, you know, we've got partners and we don't, 
want the hitchhike because it can be bad. It can rip through a household with a tremendous amount of negativity, just as it did with Bigelow and Poltergeist stuff. And then he's losing his family members one by one and then a dog and all sorts of problems, financial and all everything. And he said, I wish I'd never conducted some of those experiments. I know what some of those experiments were. I, I wish I'd never been involved in some of those experiments at Skinwalker. It was the experiments, the enticing, the invocation that poses the problem. And three other Nick guys had said, and they had the same thing, I'm never going back there. Well, I don't blame them. You know, it's a taste. There's a sting in the tail on sometimes. And they tracked it back home and they had some, I don't want that. I can't afford to have that. So I have to pace myself being involved in certain aspects of this phenomenon. But it's small amount on a regular basis, not a large amount. <laughs> small amount on a regular basis, I would say. All right, Steve, I think we went way over, but I couldn't stop you because every word you're saying, I'm hanging on. So, and I'm sure the audience will too. So I very much appreciate this. And we, welcome, sure. You, you have so much material we, we should revisit uh, or not well, even revisit. Yeah, yeah. Keep, in, keep in touch. You know, I'm, I'm always doing the butcher's can because. That's what, I, that's what I'm doing. I do it because I need the information out. I won't let people know. See, there's so mm -hmm. many people out there hold this research to the chest and go, what is the point of doing it? Why do you do it? It's like, oh, it's mine, it's mine. Well, well why though? Why are you doing it? It's got to be out there. People need to know right. something. And I think it's evidence to back this stuff up. So, and the good thing is, is that we are moving slowly in the right location. Slowly, it'll be a slow trip to get there, but... There's learning involved and it's digestible, but we will get there. And Nathaniel's exactly the same. He does exactly the same thing. You know, it's about educating people. It's not about scaring them. It's about just laying it all out and letting them make their own mind up. Exactly. I think that's the key because there are a lot of compelling theories out there, but they're not, I don't think we're ever going to know, but people need to be aware that there is a phenomenon out there. Oh, cool. But it does right? It doesn't want it to be all worked out. That's why it's called a phenomenon of absurdity. Because it's absurdity because people won't believe what you've seen. And that's mm -hmm. why it's got so many faces, so many variations. Roger Blue Book listed over 12 million variations. 12 million. Roger Blue Book. 12 million variations in the phenomenon. How do they count that? I mean, like, it would take you years to just count. Yeah, the collation of data. Yeah. Did different sizes different things been seen 12 million i think still going probably because it can be anything anything from an animated toy to whatever you know it can be anything and then they realize obviously that's the case but the, the, you know it's it's all part and parcel of the same thing we all know the researchers know this a lot of people do know but it's not an easy pill to swallow and that's because we've been taught to fear the devils and the demons and all that sort of thing. And it's the narrative, really, which, you know, the problem is everybody's got a horse in the race and they want us to believe what they say and stuff. And the bottom line is, is that phenomenon represents it all. and just interacts in many, many ways. The program, I'd say. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much, my friend. And we will definitely talk soon. Thanks, Sean. Keep in touch. And thanks for having me on the show. And I look forward to going back on. Absolutely. If you enjoyed today's video, please hit like and subscribe and also hit the notification button so you can be notified whenever I post new content. Thank you. Now, if you're enjoying the channel and you want to support it, there are several things you can do. In fact, there are five things you can do. 
the first thing you can do is just buy my books. I got plenty of books out in the market right now, and I would prefer that folks buy a book rather than giving me direct support because they get something out of it. They have a real tangible product. The second way you can support me is by becoming a member on YouTube or becoming a patron on Patreon. And just go to either site and it'll explain everything. third way you can support the channel is by checking out my merch site, which is here. There's plenty of stuff that you could get to support the channel. And I'd appreciate that you, you have it and you can wear it. Not only do you help support the channel, but you also help promote the channel. And I appreciate that. The fourth way that you can support the channel, and this is really easy, is anytime you want to buy something on Amazon, literally just go to the description below and click on any link, literally any link. The channel gets a cut of that, and it costs you no extra money. You just go through the link as I'm part of the Amazon Affiliates Club. The fifth and final way you can support the channel is through donations. Now, I don't prefer these because it's more of an expression of gratitude, but you don't really get anything out of it as a subscriber to the channel. However, if you decide to do these options, there's two options. There's Buy Me a Coffee, which is a separate site, and there's also you can go through YouTube with either a Super Chat, Super Sticker, or a Super Thanks. Again, I prefer Buy Me A Coffee because that organization takes less money than Amazon does. But either way, I appreciate any support you are willing to give the channel. So thank you very much and keep watching. I really appreciate it.